Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Did you know that your mind, your mind is likened to a city in the Bible? Now when I say the word city, some of you immediately think, my mind is like New York. It's fancy, it's snazzy, it's glitzy. Others think my mind is like, and you think of a little town, a little village somewhere. Or maybe you think of the parts of St. Helier. You think my mind is like Cheapside in St. Helier. There's a lot of fun and partying going on. Or maybe you think my mind is like the business district. I don't know which part you want to call it. Or the, the government part by the parish hall and you know, where, where it's all formal and, and everything's organized. Well, I don't know what your mind is like. Maybe you think your mind is like Millennium Park. It took 15 years to build, but we got there eventually and now it's a happy place. I don't know. But the Bible says your mind is like a city. And when we think of a city, you think of the, all the connection routes and all the roads and networks and electricity and utility systems and different hubs where people gather for social events or for sporting events or for partying, whatever it is, different eating places. Your mind is as complicated, in fact, more complicated than a city. Your mind is amazing. It is. It is. All those neural networks, memory systems, the ways your brain works together. It's incredible. It's a miracle machine. And so when the Bible says, renew your mind, or change your mind, or as a man thinks in his heart, that directs the whole course of his life. When the Bible talks about your mind, how many of us know you can't change a city overnight? You can't change your mind overnight. And there are things in your mind, like little streets and alleyways and suburbs in a city, that will take a lot of effort and a lot of focused attention to get them renovated. Amen? Proverbs 16 and verse 32 says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. And, and the idea here is of taking a city, the mighty warriors who in the Old Testament times would have gone and, and invaded a city and taken it for the Lord. And they're saying that when you rule your spirit and you manage to control those thoughts, do you remember we spoke about that verse in 2 Corinthians 10, which talks about us pulling down strongholds and taking thoughts captive. Do you remember that verse? 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Think about taking cities and thoughts captive. We pull down strongholds and we cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Bringing every thought into captivity. The city of your mind, which is beautiful. God made it. And he says, what a wonderful thing I've made. But now God says, you've got to take it captive. And Proverbs 16 says, he who rules his spirit or is able to take control of his thoughts and his emotions, 
emotions and those things that go on in that miracle machine called your mind. If you can rule that, you're better and more strong than he who takes a city. And today, I want to look at a man who was involved in taking cities. And there are two parts to this sermon. The first is that when we are involved in taking cities for God, and for any of you who've been in our church for a while, you know what I'm saying. When I say taking cities for God, it's code for planting churches in communities so that God's life can overflow to that city. So if you get involved in taking cities for God, you are helping those people, not just with food and clothing and money and education, but you're changing their minds and that whole city's well-being changes and prospers. If you get involved in that, it is the best way. Planting a church in a community is the best way to help a community. You know, we've been talking today about sending money to the people affected in the floods. I got a, a message this week. I'm not going to read it now, but it, it just broke my heart with happiness. A young man from Zimbabwe found me on the internet. I don't, to be honest, I don't recognize his name. But he sent me a message. He found a way of getting hold of me and he sent me a message. He said, 15 years ago, the church that you started in our poor community in the east of Zimbabwe, I was one of the orphans that was taken off the street, taken in by some of the people in that church, looked after, and now I'm an adult with a family, I'm living in Harare and I'm prospering, and I looked you up to say thank you. 15 years later, he got hold of me. And it reinforced in my heart, I understood. You know, we can take cities or improve cities through financial giving and education and political structures. And those are good. And we must do those. And we are doing those. We are sending practical financial help, material help to them. We must do that. But if you can take a city for God by getting into people's minds and their social relationships and their families and the way they think about each other and God and, and life, you change that community forever. You don't just give them a fish, you give them the ability to fish. Amen? And there was this man called Jonah. He was a prophet in the Old Testament. The first time we see him is in 1 Kings 14 and verse 25. Sorry, I think it's 2 Kings 14, verse 25. There it is. It's talking, first of all, about a king called Jeroboam. It says, Jeroboam restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord of Israel, the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath Hefer. There was a king called Jeroboam, and in his reign of 41 years, Israel had shrunk before he took power, but in his reign, they extended Israel back to where it should be. The, the borders of Israel refilled the land. 
from Gath Hefer to this place to that place. They extended. And the way that it happened was Jonah the prophet had spoken to the king and said, God wants us to take that city, to take that city, to take that city for him. Who was controlling those cities before? It was a powerful nation that didn't serve God called the Assyrians. And they had taken all of these cities and Jonah had spoken the word of God to the king Jeroboam and said, God wants you to take that city. The word of the Lord was used to physically take a city and then make it a city for God again. And all through my talk today, there's this dual thing of taking cities as a physical picture, but then what about our minds? And I'm gonna show you how beautiful this picture is. So Jonah had been used to this. He'd understood the concept of taking cities for God, restoring them and, and redeeming them for God's purposes. And he'd seen the evil Assyrians pushed back. And then a couple of decades later, God says to Jonah the most shocking thing. He says, now you have been involved in helping the Israelites take back cities from the Assyrians. Cities that were the Israelite cities but had been lost and now you took them back through God's power. Then God said to Jonah in Jonah chapter 1, go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Let me try and put this into context. Imagine in World War II where the Nazis had invaded the whole of Europe and large parts of the world. Imagine a little Christian in London gets told, go to Germany and speak to Hitler and I will forgive him and restore him and Germany will come to know the Lord. Imagine the emotion that would come up. That person would feel, no, they're the enemy. They're the baddies. I don't want God to forgive them. I want to wipe them out. Can you see that? That's what Jonah felt. So Jonah had been involved in pushing out the Assyrians out of these cities. And now God says, go to Nineveh, their capital city, preach the word of God to them and their hearts will turn. And Jonah said, I don't want to. I don't want to be involved in that. I don't like them. I don't care for them. I don't want them forgiven. I hate them. And now these layers of cities, physical cities and cities of the mind. Watch what's happening here. Jonah, in his mind, has allowed God's power. He's a prophet. He's allowed God's power to come into that suburb, the suburb of joy, the suburb of faith, the suburb of family, the suburb of being willing to speak out and be bold. He's allowed many, many parts of the city of his mind to be restored to God's ways. But there was an area of the city of Jonah's mind called, I hate the Assyrians, that he did not want God to go near. My dear brother or sister, I want to put my finger on your heart right now and say, have you been a Christian like Jonah believed in the Lord for probably most of his life? Have you been a Christian for many years and you've seen victories and you've seen God do great things and maybe use you and you think you know God and you love him, but there are little areas, pockets, suburbs of the city of your mind where you say, God, I don't want to go there. And God says, I love you so much. I'm not going to leave you alone until we restore, until we take the city of your mind back for God. 
Philippians 1 verse 6. It says, he who began a good work in you will complete it. God is committed to renovating the city of your mind. And it may have been 30 years since you gave your life to the Lord and you're sitting there comfortable and you're thinking, I've got it all sorted out. I want to promise you, my friend, there are little areas and parts of your brain, your mind, where God is still working. And the amazing story of Jonah is A, God won't stop working on you, even if you're not willing. He'll send a whale, a fish to swallow you. He'll send a storm when you're going the other way. He'll do amazing things to get you to the place where your mind has changed. That's the first thing. But the second thing is that when you're involved in doing God's work, in taking cities for God, and this is such a beautiful truth, when you're involved in taking cities for God, your brain city gets changed. And I have seen this in my life. There have been times in my Christian life where I've been a pew warmer, where I've just sat and received. And it hasn't changed my life. But when I say, God, I'm going to get involved in ministry, I'm going to risk, I'm going to step out like Peter onto the water and try something that's a little uncomfortable. That's when the big changes start happening. And my big areas of my mind just start getting renovated for God. I can't quite explain why it works that way, but I want to tell you it does. There's a little verse in Luke 17 where Jesus tells 10 lepers to go and do this and then go and tell the priests about it. And it says, as they went, they were healed. As they started walking, as they started obeying and doing what Jesus told them to do, that's when the healing happened. And many of us are sitting back as Christians and saying, when I am fully renovated, when I am fully healed, when I've got all my stuff together, then I'll do some ministry for the Lord. And I want to tell you something wonderful. God says it's as you're going. Jonah didn't have it all together. He still had huge parts of hate in his mind. And God said, go and tell the Assyrians, go and tell Nineveh about me. And it was as he went that Jonah's mind was changed. And we're going to see that today. So, I hope you're tracking with me. It's a little bit like the movie Inception today. There's a, a dream within a dream within a dream within a dream. It's like there's a truth and then there's a truth within that truth and a truth within. We're seeing God takes cities, physical cities for him. When he takes a city, he changes the minds, the cities of people's brains. And when the workers go and do that, their brains, their city minds are changed. So Jonah chapter three. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. This is after he's fled the, the ship has been in a storm. He's been thrown into the water. He's gone to the bottom of the sea. He's been swallowed by fish. He's repented. He's been spat out by the fish. He's sitting there on the beach, stained and, and bleached by the, the digestive juices of the fish's stomach. Just He's been through the works. And the word of the Lord comes to him a second time. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. Start to imagine the scene. It was, it was the biggest city in the world, Nineveh, at that time. 
It was the capital of the biggest empire. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Can you imagine Jonah? He walks through the gates of the city. Huge, impressive gates. And he starts looking at all these amazing buildings. And he sees the people scurrying around. And he sees the shops and the social places and the restaurants and the children playing. And the way people interact with each other and the signs on the, on the streets. And he hears the different voices and languages. And he's, he's taking in all the sights and sounds of the city. But he's bringing with him, as he comes into the city, he's bringing God's presence, God's spirit, and God's word. And we're going to see that when God's word and his spirit come into a mind or a city, amazing things happen. More than could happen with the sword and the spear. Israel had defeated cities with might, but now we're going to see God's word comes in and what happens. It's a beautiful picture. And he cried out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. The whole city was changed. But it, it changed in, in increments. First of all, the people heard. So those who were close to Jonah heard. And they started wailing and weeping. They were cut to the heart by God's presence and by God's word. And they started repenting. And eventually it spread out in waves until the very king in his palace heard about it. And he repented and he made a decision. And he said, this is what the city is going to do. We're going to turn to God. And that's the process of your mind being renewed. Little parts get changed. And and as we submit to God, more and more of our brain gets affected by his presence and by his word until the, the, the king sitting on the throne, which is your will, your deciding power, until that says, we are turning, mind, and we turn to the Lord. The city changed. Nineveh, an amazing miracle. Previously, Israel had had to fight and burn and stab and do all sorts of physical things to change a city. Now just his word changed that city and they took it for God. But now watch this. You see, Jonah's mind was still not changed. The whole process was God trying to change his precious son Jonah's mind to restore it and make it a place of beauty and peace and life. Verse 1 of chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. He who can, can control his anger is better than a mighty warrior. And he who can control his spirit is better than a warrior, than the mighty. Isn't that an amazing verse? And Jonah says, 
I'm angry. I'm exceedingly angry. Verse 2. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Our Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my own country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, because I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. <laughs> this man has a suburb in his brain that is fortified against God's will. In many other areas of his life, he's understood God's loving kindness, his grace, his compassion, his word. But there is a racist anger and bitterness in his heart that he hates the Assyrians so much that he doesn't want them forgiven. How about you, my dear friend? What suburbs of your mind are still unredeemed? Is there a little squalid part of your life? That God wants to reach. It comes by His Spirit and His Word coming in, but it also comes by you getting involved in what God is doing, even when you're not ready, even when you feel you're not qualified. <clears throat> Verse 4 Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? I just love this. You know, God is the ruler of the universe. He could have said, Don't be angry. He could have smote Jonah. Amen? He could have crushed him like a bug under his thumb. But God talks to Jonah like a friend. And he asks him to question his own thoughts and emotions. We, as a society in the modern world, do not question our emotions. I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. I know I love you. I always will. My mind's made up by the way that I feel. That's what we do. We say, if I feel it, it's right. If I feel angry, well, then I'm angry. And God gently interrogates you. That's the way that he renews our mind. His word comes in and he says, but is it right for you to be angry? Jonah does not respond well. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. He made himself a shelter and sat under its shade till he might see what would become of the city. He's sulking. He's a petulant child and he's going to sulk. And he's just going to wish the worst on these Assyrians because he hates them. But God loves cities. God loves the people we don't love. And the Lord prepared a plant. So now we see an object lesson. You know, sometimes those of us who've been Christians for many years, we know the Bible so well, we've heard it preached from every different angle, that a sermon no longer penetrates to that suburb, that little dirty suburb that hasn't been renewed. And God has to use circumstances or object lessons to teach us a lesson. I've been there, have you? It's unfortunate, but it's true. You know, one... 2 Timothy 3 verse 15 onwards says the word of God, the scripture is able to make you wise for salvation so that you would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Just the Bible enough is enough to make you what God wants you to be. But if we don't listen to the Bible, God has many other tools in his belt to help us to understand. King David, when he sinned, God sent a prophet, Nathan, with a little funny emotional story about a man with his little sheep that he used to love who got stolen just to get his message into David's heart. 
Because David knew the scripture and he wasn't listening to it, so God used it another way. In this case, God caused a little plant to grow up. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. He loved his little plant. <laughs> loved it. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. And it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? He said, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. Those of us who've had little children understand this kind of language. It's just arrogant petulance. I will not let God into this part of my life. And the Lord was so patient with Jonah. The Lord said, you've had pity on this plant. You love this plant for which you have not labored. You didn't make it grow. It came up in a night, perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 people who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. God cares about every part of the city, even the livestock. God wants to restore and redeem cities. God wants physical cities to be made prosperous through his gospel. But more importantly, he wants their minds to be renewed and the servants of his who go into that city get their minds renewed as they go in. I don't know what happened because the, the book of Jonah ends there, but I'm believing and trusting that Jonah broke his heart and he repented. And I want to just close with this. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 7. He's talking about Titus. And he says, Titus um, was comforted by you, the Corinthians. And he told us about your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal. Verse 8. For even though I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did, did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though not only for a while. Paul had written a letter to the Corinthians and he said, you guys are doing these things wrong. And it had made them very upset. And he says, I, I regretted it, but I don't regret it anymore because it had a good result. Verse 9. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. He says, I wrote you a letter, and that letter had God's words and God's power and spirit on it. Friends, you and I have letters from God in the Bible. And when we read them, they can either produce, we ignore them. That's one response. We just ignore it. We get hard-hearted. Or it can produce a worldly sorrow where we just, oh, this is so terrible and difficult. Or the third option is a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And this is what I want to close with. The right response, the only way to renew a suburb of your mind is to let God's word come in and then to repent. 
And repent is the same as demolish strongholds. It means break your heart and let God's word come in and rebuild that part of the city. Listen to what he says. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Verse 11. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered the wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. He says, I wrote to you because I want the city of Corinth and the minds of you, lovely Christians, to be restored and renewed. And the only way that's going to happen is when you hear God's word, you don't get hard-hearted, but you let it break your heart. Like the Ninevites did when Jonah preached, they broke their hearts. Repentance, the word repentance in the Greek is metanoia, which means to change your mind. The only way your mind is going to get changed and renewed, the city of your mind is going to become the beautiful, glistening, heavenly city that God wants it to be. The only way is by repentance. And if you, my dear Christian, haven't learnt how to repent when God's word comes in, to break your heart, to say, God, I'm sorry, what vehemence, what zeal, what emotion, what brokenness. God, change me, demolish that suburb and build a new one. If you're a Christian who just listens and it's all very interesting, and yes, I'll accept that, but there's never a breaking, then there's areas of the city of your life that need to be changed. I don't know what those areas are. But I want to tell you, if you let God's word in, if you let it break your heart, and if you get involved in ministry, in, in taking cities for God, here, in, at the waterfront, in other parts of the world, if you get involved in building God's city, it's the quickest way for God to change your heart. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.